welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in either through Spotify or iTunes or some other perhaps avenue if you're tuning in through those channels. Thank you. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you also. But don't forget to click the subscribe button if you have not done so already and the bell for continued notifications so that you get notifications whenever I post new content. Guys, don't forget to check out the joshsummer.substack.com newsletter. There's a free subscription and a paid subscription. I'm about to get back on the ball on that thing here soon. Been away for a while, so haven't uh, been able to contribute on there. Today's episode is going to be all about philosophy and theology and the relationship between those two things, because as you have probably noticed... um. Philosophy as a term, as a consideration, has somewhat fallen on hard times, partly, I believe, because people don't aren't uh, privy to the historical and, I would say, biblical understanding of the relationship between theology and philosophy. And um, there are a couple of ways we could consider philosophy. We could we could consider the term philosophy as it applies to those different teachings throughout the world and throughout world history wherein we find lots of errors, right? These these are specific what we would call schools of philosophy, you know, we're looking at what Aristotle taught or what philo- uh, uh what Plato taught or uh what um you know, Zeno taught, and and so on and so forth. You know, we could look at the Eastern mystics and and the philosophies that they taught. And of course, when you when you survey all of those different you know systems, philosophical systems, you're going to find all sorts of of errors. And and oftentimes that's the way the word philosophy is applied. It's it's applied uh, in terms of the philosophies of the world, the philosophies that have arisen uh, from the speculation kind of the naked speculation uh, of sinful humanity. There's another way, and and I would say it's the more accurate and qualified way in which we should consider the word philosophy, and that is um, just as an objective knowledge of things, whether they be human or divine. And so, of course, when you, when you, when you put it that way, philosophy really encapsulates everything. Uh, it's a very, very broad term, uh, and uh, and there uh, it assumes also you know a, a true knowledge, a true philosophy or a true um, uh, consideration and uh, a true uh, contemplation of all of the things included in it, human or divine. Um, and so you know um, that that's really the that's really the way I, I think in this in this discussion, um, you know, concerning philosophy, natural theology, and all of that, and how all of that relates to a Christian theology, one of the things that's happening is there's a great deal of equivocation on that word philosophy. And all, you know, most of the time the word is being used by its critics uh, to indicate kind of the subjective, you know, various teachings that have arisen throughout the world and throughout world history, in which, of course, we find all sorts of errors, as as is expected in a sinful world like ours. Um, but we could we could we could mean philosophy another way, uh, right? Uh, it's the way that um, that Francis Turretin 
understood the, the term philosophy. He says, the question is necessary not only for the understanding of the true nature of, actually, I'm lost. I did not start reading in the right place. The right place would be the uh, page number that I jotted down here. Sorry about that, guys. Um, he, he says, philosophy is used either properly and in the abstract for the knowledge of things human and divine, okay, um, as far as they can be known by the light of nature, he says, or improperly and in the concrete for a collection of various opinions at variance with each other. And that's the, that's, you know, the, the teachings throughout the world and throughout world history uh, that I was referring to. So we'll take as our point of departure that, that first sense uh, of the term philosophy. Philosophy is used uh, in the abstract for the knowledge of things human and divine. And that assumes uh, an, an objective understanding of what philosophy is, if we use it and understand it in that particular sense. Okay, so that, that's kind of how we're, how we're going how we're going to proceed uh, from here on out. But I just wanted to start with that. It, it seems to me that there's a great deal of confusion in the conversation that I think we could iron out by pointing to the fact that the term philosophy has been used in different ways. There's equivocation going on, not only in our present day conversation, but it's been used equivocally throughout throughout philosophical history. And so we need we need to to note that that's not the way we're we're not using it in that latter sense, that sense to just refer to man-made philosophy, which is which is what Paul condemns in Colossians 2.8, right? These these erroneous ideas that arise from sinful hearts all around the world uh, is not what we're talking about, though sometimes people use philosophy to talk about just that. That's not the only way in which the term may be used. It can be used to just refer to a an objective knowledge of, of things, whether they be human or divine, creaturely or uh, or having to do with the Creator. Um, so there's there's this relationship, this problem of the relationship between theology and philosophy. And now that we've kind of looked at philosophy, which we'll do again here in a moment, I think we should look at theology. What is theology? Um, and historically, theology has been defined something along the lines of the art and science of living unto God. If you just take the word according to its its it's you know it's 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 morphological makeup it's it's etymology and and what have you you know you'd get something of like it's just a study of god uh and that's not it's not always been defined that way it's not always been defined strictly and lexically like that it's it's been defined uh by christians throughout history as the art and science of living unto god um and a biblical reason for why theology is defined that way is found in places like Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Um, and, and it's there where Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you take those two words together, you know, knowledge, you have something of, of theory, theoretical. Uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, 
you know, you're, you're dealing with propositions, you're dealing with the facts and the apprehension of those facts. It's a theoretical exercise. But you also have wisdom that inheres in Christian uh, divinity or Christian doctrine. And wisdom is the is the real-life application. It's the outflow of the knowledge. So it's once you get the knowledge in here, which is the theory, then that is 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 it flows out from there into one's everyday living, into one's worship, how they worship God, and it's and so on and so forth. So you know you have these these areas in Scripture where. Um, you know the study of God. The study of God in a Christian sense is not just reducible down to the apprehension of propositions. It actually entails much more to that. It entails a living unto God. Now I think we should be careful because what we don't want to do is we don't want to suggest that God, as a doctrine, for example, is merely a means to improve the way we live. Um, God's not reducible down to a tool or an instrument by that's just in there to make our our lives better. That's not that's not the case. Um, we 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 need to move from God to the application of God back to God, because God Himself is the end or the telos of the application. Okay, so we 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 can't we can't cut off the full significance of of what it means to live unto God. If we just understand that to mean, you know, the practical application, and then that's that's the whole purpose of everything, um, that would be idolatrous. I think that that would border on idolatry, if, if not jump headlong into idolatry. We need to understand that our practice goes back to God, right? So, it, God to us, our practice back to God, right? That's the trajectory of theology. It comes from God, it enters our hearts and our minds, and then we go to God. And so God is the beginning and, and the end, the Alpha and the Omega in that sense as well. Um, nevertheless, divinity theology entails both um, uh, an, an art and a science, a theory and a practice, a knowledge and a wisdom. Uh, this is how Francis Turretin understood theology to be, to be of a mixed nature, both theoretical and practical. Uh, Peter Van Maastricht um, understood it the same way. William Ames defines divinity as the doctrine of living unto God. And he says also that intelligence, science, sapience, which is a, a you know wisdom in, in Latin, art or prudence also belong to divinity. Okay, so <clears throat> there's this twofold, there's this twofold kind of interplay within within the definition of theology, that it's not just a theory but also a practice. All right. Now we move to philosophy. What's philosophy? We've heard the common definition that philosophy is just the love of wisdom. Usually that's, that's the definition of, of philosophy. Turretin, we've seen, refers to it as the knowledge of things, human and divine. You can find that in institutes, uh, his Institutes on Atlantic Theology, Volume 1, page 44. They're published by uh, PNR uh, Publishing. And it, it's really... You know, when you take philosophy in that broad sense we talked about earlier, it's been systematized in, 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 into really four areas of inquiry. And you have metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and, and aesthetics. And metaphysics is, it's, think of physics, right? Physics is the study of physical things and their behavior in this world, right? So, um, you know, we, we usually think of like something like quantum physics or atomic physics where... You know, you're studying, uh, you're studying atoms, 
uh, or quantum realities and and their behavior. And there's all sorts of uh, uh, arithmetic involved in that and, and, and stuff that goes way beyond what, what I'm ready to talk about here. But, but when you're talking about physics, you're talking about a particular area of the physical world, namely physical things and their behavior. Um, metaphysics, think of, think of the term meta. It means uh, it kind of refers to something that's transcendent, that's across the board. It applies to everything. Um, metaphysics is above the study, per se, of physics. Um, and so instead of asking questions having to do with particular areas of, of our material world, um, it's not asking the question of biology or geography or geology. It's not asking questions of archaeology, of chemistry, etc. Metaphysics studies being as being. Right, so it, it it it's 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 over it's over and above the particular and studies the universal, right? So it's 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 meta in that sense, um, and so metaphysics is the study of being, right? Or we might say ontology. It's the study of ontology. And then you have epistemology, which is that second branch of philosophy, which is the study of how we come to know the being. Right? How do we apprehend the being that surrounds us, and um, you know how does how does what's out there get into here? Right? That's epistemology, and then you have ethics. Uh, you know, and and in ethics you have you have meta ethics, the study of of ethical systems. You have the study of you know right and wrong, moral oughts, etc., etc., etc. And then you have aesthetics, which is the study of beauty. Um, and that's a, a branch of philosophy that's largely been lost in our postmodern era, uh, but it's one that I think should be should be brought back. I think Scripture assumes that there's an objective standard for beauty because God is beautiful, and what He has made is beautiful, reflecting something of His nature. And so aesthetics needs to be brought back into philosophical inquiry. It's fallen on hard times lately, and um, and then logic in philosophy is seen as like a tool. Uh, or an instrument. We're thinking about the formal laws of logic here. They're, they're instruments. They're, they're assumptions we need to make, really, in order to perform the the four kinds of inquiry we just mentioned: metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and aesthetics. All right. So those are those are that's kind of a more in depth definition of philosophy than we really needed to get into here. Uh, and I hope it doesn't confuse anyone. But but let's just go back to Turretin's, you know, kind of overall definition of it. It's the knowledge of things, human and divine, uh, that can be known through the light of, of nature. Um, and so in that regard, it has a strong, tight relationship to, to natural theology. It, um, it's broader, of course, than natural theology, but natural theology is, is, is philosophical in nature. Um, so, um, where should we go after this? We've defined theology. We've we've looked at philosophy extensively and what it is. Um, what's the relationship between the two things? What's the relationship between theology and philosophy? Because that's the sticking point now. They're often seen as two opposing things. You either do theology or you do philosophy. It's one or the other. Um, sometimes they're confused and then 
you have, you know, philosophy becomes the driver of theology entirely. I, I think a better way to understand the relationship is in terms of, uh, you know, object of knowledge and the instrument by which we understand that object. So if theology is the object of our knowledge, right, that's what we want to learn. Philosophy is like an instrument that helps us learn and understand it, all right? But we, we also should say that theology informs every area of philosophy. So theology speaks to things like metaphysics. It speaks to epistemology. It speaks to ethics, obviously. Think of the Ten Commandments. Um, and it speaks to aesthetics, uh, that study of, of beauty that we, that we mentioned. Um, so theology informs every area of philosophy. This is why it's not good to make a hard and fast separation and opposition between theology and philosophy, because theology does a lot of philosophical things, right? It, it, it informs a lot of areas of philosophy. It speaks to, it speaks philosophically. Um, but... Whereas philosophy entails requisite principles such as grammar and logic, right? You, you have examinations of both of those things in philosophy, and you have conversation concerning both of those things in philosophy. The philosophy of language, for example, that's not taught in Scripture. Philosophy, then, could be considered uh, as, as something that precedes theology in terms of the order of our knowing, so, in terms of the order in which we come to knowledge, the, the order of our epistemological inquiry, the way, the process by which we understand and learn things, philosophy comes first, because you have to assume certain things in order to come to something like the scriptures. You have to assume grammar, the meaning of language, the laws of logic, etc., etc., etc. And those are all philosophical things. Um, it doesn't mean that philosophy is the, the ground or the foundation of theology. It just means that in terms of the order of our thought, philosophy stands as, a, as an instrument by which we, we understand uh, the, things like the scriptures, right, um, and, uh, and theology in general. Uh, philosophy helps us to understand. And... While, by the same token, while philosophy can be used as a tool or as a handmaid, that's been the old, you know, kind of uh, the parlance used concerning philosophy, that philosophy should be a handmaid. It should never become the mistress. Don't go cheating on theology with, with your mistress philosophy, right? Philosophy should always be the handmaid. It should be the helper in helping us understand our theology in a more sufficient manner, in a better way. Um, and, and, and because it takes that kind of subordinate position, um, that it's not the mistress, it's not something that you're kind of having an affair with over here, cheating on theology, it's actually subjected and submitted to theology, then that means our philosophy is able to be corrected upon by, by theology. Um, and I don't mean that, like, the laws of logic can be corrected upon by theology. You have to assume the laws of logic in order to do theology. The second you, you, you start to try and examine the laws of logic with your theology, you're using the laws of logic to do so, right? So that would be kind of a self-refuting exercise. Um, rather, what I mean is that anything that you come in, you know, you, that you come to a conclusion to concerning anything in the world, whether it be metaphysical or physical or, or, or what have you, 
all of that is is subject to the the claims, the clear claims that uh, are made by theology. Um, so to put it in a in a easy easy to understand way, whatever is clearer in theology must clarify and even correct our philosophy, especially those areas of philosophy that are that are murky, that are un- uncertain. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of where this has to happen. In the exploration of things like human origins, science has taken to, you know, get into a bunch of philosophical and metaphysical uh, areas of inquiry. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the material sciences have been used, misappropriated by the the current scientific community to do that which it's unable to do. Um, and that is to go not not only go back in time, but then to make fundamental metaphysical claims about the world in general is something that the material sciences are not designed to do. They cannot do. they They just cannot do it. By definition, they can't do it. Nevertheless, this current scientific community and their rebellion against God is trying to use them in order to do that. And um, they're coming up with all sorts of conclusions, right? And and they've they've come up with all sorts of conclusions that are, you know, have been contradictory with, you know, one from the other uh, over the last several decades. Uh, from Darwin onward, there have been several hundred uh, theories out there uh, and nuances concerning... Uh, biological evolution, abiogenesis, and things of that nature. This even happens in cosmology to this day. I mean, there people still don't... It's really not even certain within the scientific community. There are different opinions about the, you know, general relativity, special relativity, ether theory, and so on and so forth by, by you know, credible scientists. Um, and so these things are, are shaky, right? Um, but... But theolo- our theology makes a definite claim about the origins of our universe. Uh, and it makes a definite claim about, I would say, even the timing of, of how long it took for our universe to become what it presently is um, in principle. And so those claims that are clearly made by theology must inform and clarify and even correct our uh, philosophical and scientific understanding of those areas, all right? And so theology is very clear in those areas, and so it must, it must correct and clarify, uh, you know, the, the murky areas of our, of our philosophy and our natural sciences. Um, so whatever is clearer in theology must clarify and even correct our philosophy. Whatever is clear in our study of philosophy can help us to better understand our theology. Um, it, but it can never correct. We can't say the same thing about our philosophy in that sense. It can never correct theology, right? It can never make a correction upon our theology. Can philosophy like can philosophy correct our theology? And the question and the answer to that is yes. like our bad understanding of theology can be corrected by clear, philosophical realities and claims uh, that are true. The laws of logic, for example, must correct our illogical claims or our illogical, irrational understandings of theology. We, we, we can't be allowed to violate the principles of, of logic 
in our theological thinking. Um, Francis Turretin, you know, helpfully noted that, you know, faith, of course, takes us beyond reason, but faith cannot contradict reason. Faith can never contradict true and sound reason, right? So it, it, it you know, he says something to the effect of, to the effect of, although every truth cannot be demonstrated by reason, right? That's where faith comes in. It goes beyond. Every truth cannot be demonstrated by reason, the boundaries of truth being much more widely extended than those of reason. Yet no lie against the truth can be sheltered under the protection of true reason, nor can one truth be destroyed by another. So contradiction, the possibility of contradiction is impossible. It's, it's non-existent, right? You can't, you can't make contradictions. And so I think that's a helpful way of understanding the relationship between, you know, theology and philosophy. Philosophy is a tool for better understanding our theology. And once we know theology, theology can actually correct, it can come back and correct, and it must come back and correct our false philosophical understandings. Um, and then and then something that, that Turretin does, he, he actually lists four ways in which um, philosophy can be used by the Christian. And um, so these are these are these are four helpful ways, and we'll 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 end the program by by listing these out. Number one, he says philosophy is a means of convincing the Gentiles and preparing them for the Christian faith. Clement of Alexandria once said, philosophy prepares the way for the most royal doctrine. And so just because something comes first in order doesn't make it superior. Um, you know, you always have, you can think of this in, in the royal terms that, that Clement is, is thinking of it in. You think of, you know, when, when uh, a king is announced uh, by his servants, his servants come first, right? You, 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 you come into contact with his servants first. That doesn't mean his servants are over and above the king. That doesn't mean they're greater than the king. In fact, quite contrary, it, it, it actually means that they are subordinate to the king. They're preparing the way for something greater to enter the room, i.e. the king himself. So they're announcing something more royal than themselves. And the same is true with philosophy. Um, so logic, for example, can serve as a as a as a means to prepare, uh, you know, the Gentile world in this case, uh, for a more royal doctrine. Um, some of the philosophy of Plato and Aristotle. Uh, it, it 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 it's it's almost if you read those guys and then you and then you read like Paul's letters, there's a lot of overlap in the use of terminology. And the use of language. I remember one time I was reading, uh, I was reading uh, Cicero on De Finibus on Ends, and Cicero said something to the effect of, "It is in moral virtue, in which all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are kept or hidden um, or found," and I thought. <clears throat> Well, that's obviously that's that's uh that's that's um <clears throat> uh that's somewhat Pauline of Cicero here, uh, but of course Cicero's living before Paul uh, by a number of years, and you have Paul using Ciceronian language 
But instead of doing what Cicero does, Cicero uh, applies, you know, moral virtue uh, to, you know, the storehouse as being the storehouse of, of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says that's God, uh, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the storehouse of knowledge and wisdom. You're going to find the fullness of knowledge and wisdom in, in Christ and in Christ alone. And, but yet he's, he's using the language of Cicero. And so, you know, you think about that, and he's doing that in Colossians. So he's, 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 he's talking to a bunch of Greek converts to Christianity. So it would have appealed to them rhetorically for Paul to use Ciceronian language, right? So in that way, you have, you know, the, the pagan philosophers and the, the true things in their philosophy. There was a lot of errors, but there was a lot of truth. And there were a lot of true things in their philosophy that actually ended up preparing the Gentile world for the coming of Christ and for the gospel. And that's what that's what Turretin is saying here. You can see places where Paul, you know, plays with 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 pagan philosophy in, in Acts 14, 14 through 18, uh, Acts 17, 26 and 27 in particular. Uh, but we'll look at uh, Acts 14 here. If you go to Acts 14, uh, verse 14, it says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, and of course they're they're being worshipped by these these pagans because they think that they're because they're so learned they must be divine, and so Paul and Barnabas are startled by this. They tear their clothes. They're outraged. They're crying out, and they're saying, "Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things, your idolatries." to the, your false philosophy, to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk, to, get, to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. And what's the witness that God gave to the pagan nations? And, and Plato and Aristotle hit on some of these things. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So Paul is saying the pagan people, even before Christ came, and even before the scriptures came to this pagan people, experienced true gladness. They saw true goodness from God who is in heaven. Um, and of course, they're condemned by these things because they suppress these things in unrighteousness. They, they, they take them for granted and they and they, they push their true significance out of their hearts, and they form them into idols and all of this. Nevertheless, Paul is saying here that there was a true witness. There was a true philosophy to be known, true goodness, true gladness. All of those things are philosophical. And so, uh, and so these, are, these, are, these are things that God, these are witnesses that God left in the world, and they, they Turretin contends, they, they, they actually prepared the way for a more royal doctrine, citing there with Clement of Alexandria. The second way philosophy is, is useful or helpful, it's a testimony of things known by nature. It's a testimony of things that, uh, that we can know by or through nature. It confirms by reasons that which may, may be known through creation. So um, the proofs for God's existence, they're, they're philosophical. You're, you're, you're using uh, logical syllogism, argumentation, etc., and you're doing good things. You're doing something that's good and, and right and true, and you're coming to true con conclusions from nature, uh, and, and, and 
Turretin says that's a that's a valid use of, of philosophy. That's a way in which we can use philosophy. Number three, it's an instrument. Philosophy is an instrument of perceiving things clearly and rightly distinguishing between them, judging concerning that which is true or false, consequent and inconsequent, according to the rules of good necessary consequence impressed upon our rational nature by God after it has been illuminated by the light of the divine word. All right, so this is a way in which Christians can use philosophy, right? It's a way of it, philosophy helps us to make distinctions. You can't make distinctions without philosophy. You cannot distinguish between, you know, one nature and another nature, for example, without assuming some kind of, uh, you know, philosophical reality um, behind those behind those natures. Um, and without assuming some sort of philosophy of being, i.e. realism, moderate realism, extreme realism, etc. And you might not know it in those terms, but you assume... Uh, you know, one of those philosophies of being, when you talk about real things in the universe and you distinguish between one thing and another. And then the fourth way that philosophy can be fruitfully used is that the mind can be prepared, the individual mind he's talking about here, the mind can be prepared and furnished by philosophy for the res reception of a higher science. And this is, this is kind of what we often, you know, punt over to the field of apologetics today. Turretin is saying that, that this is actually you know, apologetics is uh, a legitimate sphere in which we might employ philosophy fruitfully. Clement of Alexandria says again, he says, let philosophy uh, submit to theology as Hagar to Sarah and suffer itself to be admonished and corrected. But if it will not be obedient, cast out the handmaid. So it should never, ever form, determine, correct theology in and of itself, though it can correct our understanding of theology, it can help us understand theology better, but it's never determinative of what theology is in and of itself. And we, we have to be careful to understand that here, this, this fourth use, that we're not turning, you know, uh, we're not turning Christian theology into a philosophical exercise, which is what happens in the modern apologetical arena oftentimes. I think what happens in, in both presuppositional and classical circles is um, is y you can almost turn Christian theology into nothing but an apologetical enterprise uh, and, and empty it of all of its virtue. Um, uh, presuppositionalism turns seems to turn everything into a, a philosophy of epistemology, and that's that's uh, that seems to be over overly emphasized even in uh, you know the realm of the articles of faith. Um, thinking about how Van Til talks about the doctrine of the Trinity and its perceivability somewhat through nature and all of this, and and it almost becomes an exercise in rationalism. Uh, and then in the classical arena, you have people who all they do is is they do classical apologetics, uh, apologetics, 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 and um, and everything kind of just turns into this mental exercise. This is huge in the evidential circles as well. Think of the William Lane Craig fanboys and all of that, and how that often turns into just this vain intellectual pursuit. Um, but we have to be willing to say that the mind can be prepared and furnished by philosophy for the reception of a higher science, that it can be used in that way. So in reasoning with unbelievers, you can appeal to certain realities in creation that are, that are you know, obvious and common to all, and and those things can soften away 
it, it can soften or, or chisel out a way to introduce the gospel and to talk about the things of God that are that are higher than the natural world, uh, God's grace, which is 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 in Christ and in Christ alone, His special grace that is saving grace. Um, and so, hopefully, this discussion has been helpful in kind of illuminating the uh, the not only the distinction between theology and philosophy, but the way in which those two things relate to one another and are in conversation with one another, and the way in which philosophy can actually help us do better theology. So, with that said, uh, please don't forget to click subscribe and and also. Uh, the bell for continued notifications. Uh, don't forget the newsletter also, joshsummer.substack.com. See you later.